Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, a talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinedtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinedtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Good bus people. It's nice and warm here in Florida. So we have them outside enjoying some nice wine and enjoying the weather. Mike isn't with us tonight. Speaking of weather, he is under it, uh, under the weather. Uh, he's got himself uh, a bug. Had it for too long, actually, I think. He wasn't feeling well last week and is still hanging on with him. So, But we hope that he is better by next week and back with us and doing well and it's not anything more serious than what he says is got himself a flu bug. So we'll let you know if anything develops, but I don't think it will. I hope it won't anyway. So you've got me for this hour and not Mike. So I will try to keep you entertained and happy an hour or 15 minutes or however long I feel like talking tonight. It is Thursday, January the 6th, 2022. I hope you've learned how to write 22 on your checks by now. Uh, Sometimes it takes us time to get it down to the point where we remember that it is the next year, although we're probably happy to get rid of 21, so it's not too much of a problem writing 22 down. Got some stuff to tell you. I've been going through some old articles and some old stuff over this past couple days trying to get myself caught up and cleaned up a little bit here in the new year and I found some stuff that I've been wanting to talk to you about and I haven't yet and so this could be a good opportunity now to fill you in on it we don't have a guest I haven't got anything scheduled so far this year but we will keep trying and we will let you know when we do have guests but that doesn't mean that you can't listen to the show and enjoy it anyway because we will keep you informed and keep you filled in about wine and all that if you're a new listener welcome glad you're able to join us and if you've been with us for a while thanks for staying with us it's been well it'll be 13 years coming up in March uh, around the first of March I think March the 10th so uh, we been on doing this for quite some time and I've enjoyed it and then Mike has too and I hope you all have enjoyed and learned something about wine over the the years all right let me see what I have here that we can talk about and pass on some information to you and some news about wine and uh, fill you in a little bit what's happening uh, and some of these, oh, here you go. This article is Canned Wine Growing Up. This is out of Wine Spectator magazine. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's a long article. But basically, they're saying, yeah, canned wine's here to stay. You need to get used to it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to uh, disappear. Uh, it's getting more expensive. Uh, it's... Uh, unbelievable some of the prices they're charging for canned wine out there I was really surprised uh, there um, a lot of the wines out there if you buy it by the can you're saying oh this isn't too bad you know this is you know uh, this is the price but when you start looking at the uh, total total cost you're up to around thirty forty dollars a bottle uh, on price equipment bottle equipment so it's uh, can get a little bit 
carried away. So do your math because most of the canned wines are listed in milliliters, and it's very easy to do the math on that because 250, or I'm sorry, 750 milliliters equals a bottle of wine. And so if you uh, just look at the the size of the can and figure it out to 750 milliliters, like if it's a three-pack of 250 milliliters, that's a regular full-size bottle there. And there are some canned wines that are selling for $59 in a three-pack of 250. So you're looking at $59 a bottle, which you normally would not even consider spending that much money on a bottle of wine. Um, and yet, when they put it in the cans, you think, oh, how cute and stuff like that. So be careful with your with your price conversion because sometimes it can get expensive unless you know the wine itself. In my opinion, that much money for a bottle of wine, then I would prefer to have it in the bottle myself instead of in a can unless you plan on taking the can to the beach or someplace that you can have glass, which... There are a few places out there. Or you can probably sneak a can in on a golf course or something like that, a Lilesian can of bottle of wine. So either way, uh watch watch your prices because it uh can get can get expensive if you're if you're not aware of what you're doing. Uh, some of them one can can run you you know, seven, eight dollars uh, and so you're looking at uh and some of the cans are not a full 250 milliliter. Some of them are smaller than that. So keep an eye on how much you're paying for it. And if you want to try something, it's a good way to do it. They do sell the cans individually. Uh, they now have, the uh, TTB has now approved smaller size cans, which up until just last year, I believe it was, I'm, I'm thinking... I don't have Mike here to fact check this on me because we talked about a little bit the new TTB rulings, but I think it was oh, October, November, something like that. Might have been August. TTB approved smaller cans for use. So now you can get cans in the 355 milliliter size or the 2 milliliter size, and previously only the 375 milliliter size was permitted to be sold individually. So you can now get smaller size cans individually. It's a good way to try something, good way to test it, and good way to see if that's really your type of wine you want to want to buy some. And then you can get it in the bottle. I think almost every can of wine out there is available in the bottle. I, I'm not sure about that. That would be something I guess I need to check into that because I'm not sure. Maybe it's not true, but... I think just about every every can of wine you can get is available in the bottle. So, again, watch your prices, watch your sizes, and, you know, you can always try it out that way. Let me give you some examples here, some, some wines that you might be able to uh, check out if you are so inclined. West plus Wilder, W-E-S-T plus, and the plus sign Wilder, W-I-L-D-E-R. It's a non-vintage. It was given a score of 88 $17 for three 250-milliliter cans, which is uh, running about $17 a bottle, which is a good deal. It's, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Chenin Blanc, Vonier, and Muscat is all available uh, through them, sold in the three-packs. Another one, Grove, uh, and they have a Sauvignon Blanc, California, the Daydreamer. It's a 2012 vintage. It's seven dollars for a 250 milliliter can. They run, you know, I could say, do the math, it's about twenty-one dollars a bottle. Um, it's, uh, the uh, wine spectator gave it a a nice review on that. Maker is another brand. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon from Alexander Valley, even vintage, 2018, $15 for a 250-milliliter can. Uh, so you're looking at $45 a bottle on that, uh, although they're saying that this is a score of 87. 
uh, ripe, soft mocha edge plum, blackberry core, I'm backed by a second wave of warm toasted vanilla on the finish. And, uh, you know, it talks about toast and all that, which is oak. So, you know, it's, it's a well-made wine. Maker, uh, Pinot Gris from Anderson Valley, 2020 vintage. Score of 87. This is $9 for a 250 milliliter can. And this was... Uh, only 483 cases made of this, $9. Uh, you're looking at $27 a bottle, uh, which, you know, some people, Pinot you know, Gris, don't want to spend that much money, but it's up to you. Sands Wine Company, carrying on Mendocino County, Carbonic Poor Ranch Vineyards, Coyote Rock Block Non-Vintage. Oh, my gosh, the name's longer than the size of the can, it seems like. $12 for a 375-milliliter can, and they only made 600 cases of that, but uh, very good review. I like Carignan, though, so uh, I, I would tend to lean towards something like this. Uh, peeling dense blackberry and black cherry flavors with notes of bittersweet black chocolate and black pepper with chewy tannins. Uh, showing harmony in the finish. I, I love their reviews that the wine spectator gives wine erosion wine company uh has a can of wine called afraid of clowns uh it's a napa valley non-vintage 45 dollars for three 250 cans uh wow it's uh cabernet sauvignon zimitol merlot malbec and cabernet franc blend uh so a lot of different ones there Archer Roos, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Casablanca Valley non-vintage, $15 for four cans. Erosion Wine Company, how big? Out of Napa Valley non-vintage, $59 for three 250 milliliter cans. Uh, the Vice, uh, out of Napa, Rose Bubbly. Uh, this is $29 for four 250 milliliter cans. 14 Hands, uh, you can get that 14 Hands. I enjoy 14 Hands wine. This is Hot to Trot Red out of Columbia Valley. Uh, $6 for three, uh, for a, not three, for a 375 milliliter can. Uh, Archer Roos again, Province Rosé, $15 for four 250 milliliter cans. And Groove, the Wild One, uh, out of California, non Vinci, $7 for a one 250-milliliter can. Brown Vineyards, a rosé, Brut Rosé. Francis Ford Coppola, Diamond Collection, $20 for four 250-milliliter cans. Original House, a Brut American Bubbles, $6 for one 375-milliliter can. Protector Cellars, a white Central Coast non-vintage, $8 for a 350-milliliter can. But this gives you a chance, and this is the good thing about having canned wine like that. It gives you a chance to try something that you normally wouldn't want to buy a whole bottle. Because something like you know this last one here I just mentioned, it's $8 for a 350-milliliter can. The bottle probably run you $22, $23. Well, for $8, you can have yourself a glass and a half and two glasses and see if you like it and see if it's worth adding to your your, your wine cellar, your wine collection, your your backup on the shelf. So, And the way it is with all these others, there are more and more canned wines becoming available, and as more and more of them become available, they're going to get more and more variety, and the prices will probably jump around. Although right now, they're having a problem with cans. Uh, I think I've said this before, but they're really having a shortage of cans out in California and Oregon and well, West Coast. I think it's all over the country. It's not just on the West Coast. It's all over the country. Uh, but that's where most of your canned wines are coming from. And because of it, it's uh, they're probably going to jump up the price in uh, the canned wines. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of them out there to try. And there's nothing wrong with it. Canned wines are going to taste the same as a bottle of wine. Two new 
American viticultural areas proposed. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Uh, two new ones proposed. It's uh, Paulsell Valley and Rocky Reach, great growing regions. Purcell Valley is uh, an APA approximately 34,155 acres located in San Salas County, California. And then Rocky Reach, this is a proposed 50 square mile AVA, and it's got portions in Chillen and Douglas counties in the state of Washington. So those are new proposals. They are being voted on all that. We will probably hear about them being passed sometime within the next couple of months here because that juicy doesn't take too long as long as there's not objections or anything. So uh, new new AVAs, one in California and one in Washington, Washington State. And if I see anything on those, I'll let you know. And let's see. Uh, champagne versus champagne bottle. A bottle, battle. Uh, It's well. It's ongoing. I'm. I mentioned this before. I just it was here in this headline, and I wanted to just bring it up again. This is Russia is saying you can't ship any champagne into this country labeled champagne. It has to be labeled something else. We won't accept champagne. So. Uh, the champagne districts are screaming, saying, wait a minute, we don't like that. That's not fair. You can't do this. We've got our name is champagne, and you can't tell us we can't use it. And Russia says, too bad. So it's been an ongoing battle. I think they reached a treaty on it. I heard something. I've been trying to find what they came up with. Uh, either that or they just, Russia's decided to let the Champagne region of France shift their stuff in there and let it go at that. I don't know. If I find out anything, I will, as always, try to keep you informed. Uh, back in July, there was a whole bunch of floods in Germany, Belgium, and Netherlands. I think I mentioned it back when it happened. And it affected a lot of vineyards. They are still trying to recover in those vineyards. They're having to replant a lot of them because it just destroyed and literally destroyed vineyards so they are still in the middle of it which is going to result in higher costs for some wines coming out of germany especially the moselle uh, region flood orders were devastating in that area uh let's see shipping container shortage is getting worse yeah we know that we've been battling that for a long time um it should alleviate a little bit before long here one of the reasons is there is a it was a rule in effect that you have to be 21 years old to drive over the road trucks uh, and you had to have I, I 400 year, year 400 hours of training before you could drive over the road and you had to be 21 and I think I, I read somewhere, and I can't remember where I tried to find it today, and I couldn't find it, that an executive order was signed that said that they will go the 400 hours and you can be 18 years old. Uh, it dropped it down to like 200 hours or something like that training, and you can be 18 years old to drive over the road. If that is the case, we could see some... Uh, relief in the shipping container uh, well, shortage and backup and all that other stuff because we'll start getting these containers moving around the country and getting them emptied and stuff. It's a little late for the holiday season, but still they'll get some stuff back on the shelf. I'm sure everyone has noticed and how, how bare the shelves are. Um, Okay, let me look at this here. This is, okay. 
uh, yeah, Francis made an overture to Russia in the dispute. It's a long article, so I'm not going to. I just now noticed this. I just now found this. But uh, it looks like Francis is making an overture to get champagne shipped back into Russia and around and all that. So uh, shipping containers should start alleviating by, by the middle of summer. So we should start seeing some more shipping containers out there and moving around and being available for all sorts of other stuff. Okay, let's see here. Is, is the Supreme Court? Uh, new past. Scientists and officials are guarding for new past. We, we have certain pests that do cause this problems. Uh, the glassy wing sharpshooter, I've talked a lot about that in the past. Uh, if you're listening to the show, you're familiar with that. Uh, maybe it's time to revisit the glassy wing sharpshooter or some of these pests all around. But uh, there's an annual event called National Invasive Species Awareness Week. And what it does is it does just that. It uh, awareness of invasive species in vineyards and other things too, but basically vineyards. Uh, the glasswing sharpshooter being a carrier of Pierce disease uh, is something that is, well, serious. It's first identified in California uh, in the wine country over a century ago, although it has died off in the winter and hasn't really established well there. It is well established in southern states. This is one of the reasons California has, uh, I'm sorry, Florida has problems growing vitis vinifera grapes, the Cabernets, Merlots, Chardonnays, Rieslings, uh, Pinot Noirs, Merlots, all those that you're so familiar with is because of the glass wing sharpshooter will attack the grapevines and will kill them. They will not survive long enough to produce uh, any decent crops, but uh, they uh, have spread even more so, and the insect can eat 10 times its weight in a single hour of plants, and it affects it with a, uh, uh, a, um, a pathogen, I guess it, it is, uh, called... Uh, uh, a, a bacterium, here it is, a bacterium called uh, Xylella fascidosia, and it kills the grapevines. There's not much that can be done. It will kill them. So, so they've came up with different things to stop it. In fact, I've seen some new stuff that they're doing to stop the glassy wing sharpshooter uh, throughout California. And Texas, University of Texas has came up. I believe it's University of Texas. Uh, I know it's from Texas. It might not be the University of Texas. Has came up with a vaccination for the grapevines. You can actually vaccinate a grapevine against Pierce disease. And it, it's just that. You uh, give a shot into it, and it's supposed to prevent it from getting Pierce disease and dying which is interesting. I I need to call the University of Texas and find out more about that. But that is just one little bug that's caused havoc in here. There's another one that is really working its way across the country, uh, the spotted, spotted lanternfly. And this I first talked about about a year ago, two years ago, I guess it was. And it is really jumping around the country. It's been found in all sorts of areas now, and it will destroy a vineyard as fast as anything, along with a lot of other plants. All these bugs don't just concentrate on vineyards. They, But since we are all about wine, that's why I always talk about vineyards. But they do get other stuff besides vineyards. 
and because of that, it uh, it, it's affecting other areas uh, in the country. I New York State has getting some guys. uh, the spotted lanternfly uh, all around that they're spotting and finding and all. So it's becoming a, an issue there also. Here's something. We'll get away from bugs here for a second. Here's something that I I don't want to subscribe. I'm sorry. Uh, that I just saw here that uh, is interesting. This is talking about the Brexit, England leaving the European Union, and how they are starting to come out with some very nice wines. Um, The labor shortages and uh, export hurdles are slowing them down more than anything, but they are coming out with some really nice wines out of England. It's... A couple of reasons. Number one, they're really putting some effort into it. Number two, climate change, which leads me into a little segue into a show last Sunday on 60 Minutes. And they had an episode on there. And I'm sure you can look it up. You can go to YouTube and look up climate change on vineyards or 60 Minutes, uh, whatever they log it under. I'm not sure how they do it. But it was on 60 Minutes, and they talked about climate change and how it's affecting grapevines. And they talked about some of them in France and how it really is affecting some vineyards in France, how it's getting much warmer, how the season is not what it used to be, how the nights are getting warmer. And overall, just uh, uh, some problems with climate and affecting grapevines and growing regions and all that around the world. And they interviewed one lady in the Champagne region, and she said she made, uh, and I don't know if I'm quoting her right, 5,000 bottles of champagne last year uh, from the grapes that she harvested. This year, she made zero because the climate has affected her crop so much that she wasn't able to get a crop out of it or grapes out of it at all to make anything. So it's an issue. We've talked about this before. I know we have, but it's still an issue. Uh, The climate change. Well, the show also said that because of the climate change and because it's getting warmer and the areas of France and Germany and so on. It's also a little bit warmer further north, which puts it into England. Now, instead of as cold as they are, they are becoming the ideal climate for grapes. And the grape growing season and uh, the temperatures and all that for England are ideal. Now, I don't remember what area that they were talking about. I, it just uh, slips my mind right now. Uh, but uh, they said that the England is really starting to come into their own. Uh, not just grapes, but also strawberries, lettuce, flowers, all sorts of stuff. Uh, in England have uh, picked up because of the climate change. There are two bands around the world where most all grapes are grown. And these two bands are the, I can't remember the longitude right now, uh, but it's within two longitudes. If you look at California and France and China and South America, you you know, uh, uh, South Africa and Argentina, Chile, uh, just two bands around the world. That's where most all grapes are grown, which would include Napa and New York and all that. Well, these bands are getting too warm and they're moving north and south respectively. And so the area is a little bit further uh, 
I have heard that North Dakota is going to be the next great wine growing region. That and Montana. Don't know. Could be. Uh, it's getting the weather is changing enough that it could be something we're looking at in the future. But because of these two bands and getting warmer, it is starting to affect the areas that you can grow grapes and what you can do with grapes and all that. So, New uh, uh, England is one of them. It's becoming a, a very popular market, and it's starting to uh, do, a, do a lot as far as wine. English and Welsh wine. Here's an example. Sales in 2020 are, was up 30% to 7 million bottles. Production in 2020 was 8.7 million bottles. Vineyard area increased 70% over the last five years to 3,800 hectares in 2021. And the current potential of production, 20 million bottles coming out of England. So is a new, new area, new, new area to start looking for wines. I, I, they're not doing enough to ship all over the world, but they are increasing their production a lot. And you're going to start seeing English wines pop up around your grocery store and your wine stores because they have uh, increased the uh, production. So, but that article, uh, that uh, story on 60 Minutes, look it up if you get an opportunity and listen to it. It's, I don't know, 15 minutes long, but it's an interesting little article, or article story, uh, interview and all that about what's going on in the climate and how it's affecting wine growing around the around the world, actually. There has been an AVA approved in the Virginia Peninsula. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? The Virginia Peninsula has approved an AVA. Uh, it is the newest one that uh, uh, the uh, uh, TTV has uh, approved. It is... Uh, uh, Let's see, a small section of the state, part of the Atlantic Coastal Plain. What's the name of it? Uh, they're talking about how they... Oh, Virginia Peninsula, American Viticulture Area. Uh, Virginia Peninsula has five wineries, 112 acres of commercial vineyards. Uh, so that is now the ninth AVA in Virginia. Uh, it has uh, the state of Virginia has more than 300 wineries, uh, and it's ranked seventh nationally in production. So the little state of Virginia, uh, subtropic climate has really caused it to uh, put out some great wines. And the AVA itself is unique because of the climate, hot, humid summers, and rain scattered throughout the year, and uh, still getting afforded distinct seasons. So it is something that uh, they feel, felt it needed an AVA, an American Viticulture, all their own. So they have one. So the Virginia Peninsula AVA, is that what I just said it was? Yes. Uh, the Virginia Peninsula AVA is now a area of uh, our newest AVA that's been approved. Mm, let's see. Uh, uh, warming climate is bringing opportunities to New Jersey's wine industry. Here we just talked about warmth. There's an article here about the uh, about how it's affecting New Jersey growing too. Uh, labor shortage in New Zealand also uh, in the vineyards and all that. Uh, Although there's labor shortages everywhere, but they, they they are getting ready, moving into the harvest before too long here there. So it's it's becoming an issue with them there. Uh, let's see, paper shortage delays are causing disruptions in printing of wine labels. I mentioned uh, all the different shortages we had. Here's a 
uh, talks about it even more. Uh, the, the yeah, I know, I know. They're going to make me sign up. The Napa Register is the, is a the newspaper I get a lot of articles from, and they haven't made me get the paper yet. So I appreciate that. Uh, they're without papers. There's no labels. No labels on the bottles. There is no wine. And that's just a simple, easy way to look at it. You have to have a label on the wine to be able to sell it. It is required. Uh, you got to have all this information on it. Uh, you have uh, three main issues that are looking at it right now. Freight, labor, and inflation. And at this point, you do not have truck drivers to take the materials from the port. Number one, here we're back to the truck drivers again. Uh, also, there is a uh, supply chain bogged down, not just with paper, but with inks and stuff like that. So it is a, a major problem all the way around. They expect it won't be until we get well into this new year here in 2022 that the shortage will be alleviated enough that we'll be able to hit the shelves and cause the uh, label or the labels get back on the bottles so they can start shipping them, selling them and all that. They can't ship them now too easily anyway because of the truck shortage. It, it just it's really a, a vicious circle here. Yeah, see, they're telling me I need to subscribe to the Napa Valley Register, but I don't want to because I don't read enough of it to justify subscribing. So, uh, so that's something that uh, we're looking at here is uh, paper shortage for the bottles, and don't see a into that right away. It probably won't be until the middle of the year or so before they start getting and then we hope the inks will come out and everything will be all right for that. Here is something I thought was interesting. Des Moines Winery Grapes. Now this is Des Moines, Iowa. Yes, Iowa. Uh, Des Moines Winery like blueberries with a seed and Next, it'd be like wine. It's Norton. It's a Norton grape. Uh, Norton grapes are around a lot. It's uh, Norton is an original United States grape. It's very juicy. It's almost black in color. Uh, it's tastes something like a blueberry. It, it, if you pop in your mouth, it's like a blueberry with with a seed. It really is uh, it, when it's fully ripe. Now, there are different Nortons too. Some that are uh, I don't know. I, I, well, just like blueberries. Some of them are hard. Some are softer. Some are sweeter than others and all that. And how the Nortons are made. They can be all sorts of different ways. Uh, but a lot of times the Norton grape is and it's uh, a very popular grape uh, around around the country, especially in the South and uh, Midwest. Uh, Norton is used a lot. They also make Norton that is dry. Uh, there's a very dry Norton out there, uh, and you can get mostly it's made sweet, but there is a dry. Also, Norton rosés. I have seen those. Uh, just about any type and style you want. But it uh, ages well through the afternoon, heat uh, through in the south and the, and the Midwest, and it is uh, very popular, very popular grape. Uh, but it is now being grown in West Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, and it's... Uh, uh, it's a uh, new winery up there, and I've talked about. Uh, boy, I'm just I'm my mind's not working right this evening. I've talked about Tassel Ridge Winery in southeast Iowa, which is southeast of Des Moines. 
Uh, they grow a lot of uh, Norton grapes and stuff like that, but this is a different one. So it is uh, something new. Iowa has more than 100 wineries now. Uh, equal what? Yes, Iowa has more than 100 wineries. Uh, it's hard to imagine, but yes, they are all over the place. They are... Uh, just about everywhere, and they grow hybrids, a lot of hybrids, a lot of cold-hardy hybrids, because trust me, it gets cold in Iowa. I've been there through some winters, and woo, burr. But actually, born and raised Kansas City, and been up to Iowa, which is only about 150 miles northeast of where I spent, and just that little short distance makes a big difference in the weather. But uh, they, uh, like I say, quite a few wineries in Iowa, and they are picking up and using the Norton grape a lot at this winery. What's the name of this winery? I've been thumbing through here, and I have not seen the name of the winery. Now, why did they have an article of a winery, and they don't have the name of the winery? Uh Groban family, is it the name of the winery? It is Groban. Uh, Jasper Winery. Okay, called Jasper Winery. So, uh, there you go. Uh, Norton Grape is being being used and is pretty popular. Actually, the Norton Grape is very popular in the area. Very dark grape and... Uh, usually made in very sweet style. So uh, if you're going to try a Norton, expect the sweetness to come out in the taste. Okay, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Let's look at this and see what we got here. Uh, there was uh, smoke. Painted California grapes find a new life in vodka. Hmm. I saw this and I'm thinking, what? But yes, they're uh, smoke tainted grapes um, are being used in vodka, and it's working well. They're uh, instead of pouring it down the drain, the group has uh, a lot of these growers have partnered with Hangar One Vodka which is turning the smoke-tainted grapes into vodka, which is uh, named Smoke Point Vodka. And it's all the proceeds from the sales because of the California Fire Foundation. So it is for a good cause. Um, and it's it's working. It's also helping the growers who have the smoke-tainted grapes and they could not sell them and it's helping raise money for the uh, California Fire Foundation and it's also selling some unique vodka. So if you happen to see it, get it. It's for a good cause and I don't know, I've never had the vodka, but it just caught my eye that they are uh, making it. Uh, uh, it's a distillery in Alameda, which is right there with uh, uh, Oakland and, and California, stuff like that. Uh, uh, Oakland, San Francisco, and that area there. And a lot of the grapes are coming from uh, Napa and Sonoma from the complex uh, fire. That's the name of the complex fire. And they're making vodka from it. So, cool, cool thing. And let me see here. Mm. Oh. And forum. Uh that's your clay clay jugs. Uh there's a project going on now in uh oh I'm gonna try this is a vineyard this area. That's, well, I don't know. I can't find it. Um, 
but they're starting to use amphoras now to age the wines and make the wines. Uh, I'm saying going back to Roman roots, I don't know where it is. Well, I will go through this long article here, and I will get back with you and tell you a little bit more about it. Uh, let's see. Okay. Wine Spectator's Grand Tour uh, returned, and they said it was a success. Uh, I told you about the Grand Tour coming up a couple times, uh, you know, what it all involved and how it, uh, you know, how, how much it costs and all sorts of stuff like that. And it's really a pretty cool thing. If you have the money to spend a couple of days there, it is fantastic. But it went dark, obviously, because of COVID. And when that happened, it didn't do it last year. I think the last two years they, they didn't do it. And it just did it this last uh Last month, was it? Oh, but uh, it's back, and they're starting to do it again. And uh, let's see. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and so uh, December the 10th and in Washington, D.C. and the 15th, and December 15th in Chicago was when they had them. And so they are uh, back, and they're doing well, and it's a great success. So... Good for them. Good for them. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because it's really a cool thing. And let's see. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Foley Family Wines acquire Chateau St. Jean. Now, if you remember, uh, Chateau St. Jean was just acquired by Treasury Wine Estates recently. I mean, not too long ago, I was telling you about Chateau St. Jean being sold now, Foley Family Wines has bought it. Um, it's on Highway 12 in uh, Kenwood. Uh, they say it's within the picturesque Valley of the Moon. Originally founded in 1973, uh, it's, uh, I used to go to uh, uh, Seto St. Jean when I lived in California. That's been around for 100 years, it seems like, although it is not. That just I call everything on our ears, uh, but they have a whole bunch of different wines, uh, three different tiers of wines. Actually, they uh, make a whole bunch of different types of wines and some very good wines. I uh, the Chateau Saint Jean has always had. In fact, you can find Chateau Saint Jean at your local grocery store. It's uh, they have it on the shelves there and all that. But now it's owned by Foley Family Wines, uh, bought out by them from Treasury Wine Estates. So let's see, does it say how how much? Probably way, way, way too much. But no, I don't know. It doesn't say that I can see in this article. But it, they said it's not going to change anything. Everything's going to be the same and all that. So we always, always get afraid when somebody buys it out that they're going to put different people and try doing something else. Oh, here's the article. California North Coast Wineries suggest a shortage of aluminum cans. I just mentioned that earlier, that there is a shortage. Uh, the uh, uh, This is uh, This is not real, real long. And, aluminum cans is a vessel of choice for a number of beverages and wines recently has resulted in a supply crunch that has been worsened by the pandemic. And a lot of the facilities, the high-speed bottling facilities and all that, rely on the cans. And they're not available. Uh, they're not getting the cans out. Uh, it says demand for aluminum cans already was high from the triple-digit growth of hard seltzer and the move of producers of soft drinks and water to cans from plastic bottles spokesman for Ball Corporation, which is the nation's biggest producer of beverage cans. Uh, level of demand has prompted Ball and other manufacturers to move to expand production capacity and take steps to manage sales and increase uh, supply chain connections and stuff. So 
it is affecting everything. Uh, the uh, something that I just mentioned there, I don't know if you're aware of, but a lot of the companies that do offer bottled water in plastic are now offering it in cans because it seems that people will recycle a can more and faster than they re than they will recycle a plastic bottle. I don't know why, and neither do they, but that's just the way it is. So uh, the um, ball company has five new plants, uh, Glendale, Arizona, Pittston, Pennsylvania, North Las Vegas, Nevada, Bowling Green, Kentucky, and that only makes canned ends, and Concord, North Carolina. And so they are cranking it out, and they are trying to get it distributed, but it's when you fall so far behind, and so many people are using cans, it's sometimes difficult to get yourself caught up like you want to. Okay, let's see. What else do we got here? Uh, uh, let's go to this. Oops, nope, not that. That's not what I wanted. Okay. Uh, Oregon welcomes its 22nd AVA. Why, I tell you this... Since the pandemic, a lot of areas are figuring, hey, why don't we just get ourselves an AVA? Oregon Wine Board announces the federal recognition of Lower Long Tom AVA. And this is the 10th one in Valley. And uh, let's see, Nestle Navy in the Willamette Valley and the first AVA in the Southern Willamette Valley. So Lower Long Tom uh, has received federal recognition. Uh, it was drawn to reflect distinct soil topography and climate attributes. And it's the 22nd federally recognized wine growing region in Oregon. The 10th AVA within the Willamette Valley and the first in the southern Willamette Valley. It was granted approval on November 10th and it took effect last month. So uh, it's a, a new one. It's, well, we're getting these popped up all the time. Uh, there are, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 wineries in the AVA. Uh, no, 12, it says here. 12 wineries in the AVA, 24 vineyards. And it is a warm climate uh, with uh, varieties of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Riesling, Pinot Gris, and Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, twelve. There's, now this says twelve. Now, they didn't. They list them here, and I just count them. I only counted them. ten. Well, there is twelve wineries, twenty-four vineyards, and. It's uh, a lot of the wineries are located on uh, estate vineyards, so it's uh, the vineyards and wineries are basically the same. So a new ABA in Oregon. We're getting quite a few around the country now. Let's keep on doing. It. I haven't talked about ABAs in a while. I need to look up and see how many that are still out there and uh, how many are out there now and and uh, what's going on. Okay, this is dated December 13th, uh, this particular article here, and it's talking about fires threatening wineries in Western Australia. Uh, I heard that there was fires in Australia, uh, in Western Australia, uh, but I didn't know it was this close. Margaret River area, and Margaret River is a, a big wine growing region there and it includes some uh, high profile wineries like Cape Mintel uh, Luen and Voyager Estates so uh, well no so I you know I haven't heard anything more about if it destroyed any 
wineries are not. Hmm. But uh, there was some nasty fire. The gum trees there uh, in Australia burn and explode and just throw fire everywhere. It's uh, they get hot and they just it's just like an explosion. The gum trees are are horrible uh, for spreading fires there. But I will check and see what else is going on in that area of how the fires went. I'm sure it's over now because if it weren't, unlike California fires, that lasted for two months. These are they used to control these pretty quickly there. Speaking of California fires too, the uh, Dixie fire, one of the biggest ones that ever hit California, just found out a few days ago that they have traced the, the origins back to PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric. They were responsible for the start of that. Uh, power lines, uh, saying down power lines, started that fire, which was, the Dixie was what, the second one? The second biggest, or something like the third biggest in California history. So many buildings and towns burned up and all that stuff. So, uh, pretty sure it was the Dixie Con. And so, that's uh, that's been proven now that it was PG&E. Uh, let's see. Oh, it's, this, this is uh, pet bottles. This is the plastic bottles uh, that you get your water in are starting to be used more and more in wine because they are lightweight and they are much, much cheaper to ship. And so it looks like pet bottles are becoming uh, more of the bottle of the future. And it's because pet bottles can be colored in, in different colors on them, uh, then they you, you don't notice uh, that they are actually plastic until you pick the thing up and the weight is a fraction of what a normal bottle is. Uh, just a one pet bottle weighs just 2.3 ounces, which is about one-tenth of the weight of a typical glass bottle. And it's easily recyclable, whereas glass in a lot of places are not recycling it right now. So... It's going to be the same. You're not going to have any different taste. It's not going to affect the taste of the wine or the quality of the wine. And so uh, you just, you know, if you see something in a plastic bottle, then it's going to be just as good, only the shipping costs and everything. It's going to be less, which save you a little bit of money. Which, speaking of the weight of bottles, I opened up a 2017 Turodego from Willamette Valley, Oregon. A fantastic wine, really a fantastic wine. I looked up Turodego. It's a dark grape. It is growing like 98% of the grapes are growing in Italy. It is a, uh, it's got some nice aromas. It's uh, some beautiful. It's got dark fruit. Uh, taste throughout it, uh, just a, a deep colored wine uh, with earthiness that goes real well with uh, some of the foods. This particular vineyard uh, from uh, Willamette Valley is certified organic. Uh, the grapes were organically grown, and the wine itself and the grapes itself were made with uh, Dementor certified biodynamic grapes. So this was actually a biodynamic wine, which I've talked about biodynamic in the past and how rare it is to find them and all that. This was 100% biodynamic, which I was probably the reason I bought it because I was, I'm always looking for biodynamic and I saw this, but boy, what a wonderful wine. Uh, Terodego, T-E-R-O-L-G-E-G-O. Of uh, uh, Willamette Valley, Oregon, uh, Montanor Estate. 
Uh, this was the 2017. Uh, but wow, what what a great wine! My, both uh, the engineer and I really were raving about how good this was to each other. So, if you get a chance, try to try to find one of those. I'm sure the 17 isn't available anymore. Uh, they're not made to age. I looked up the grape, and it said that they most of them are made to be drank young, and 10 years maximum on aging on any of them. They range in price. Well, I saw one as cheap as $5, and the most expensive was like $59. There is a winery in Illinois that makes uh, Terradagle. Uh, most of them are in California. There is a couple in Finger Lakes area. Well, a couple in Finger Lakes and one in Long Island that makes it in Terradagle. And there was one, one other state, uh, California, Oregon was well obviously this one here from Oregon but there was another one besides this from Oregon that they listed so uh great grape I one of my one of my new likes as far as a red grape goes it, it was very very good so let me see is there anything else that I want to cover here before we close out tonight uh Yes, there is. Right here. Uh, I received this email, and I want to share it with you. It, uh, it's from um, Michael Lavelle. And let me just read you the email here. It says, 2022, Happy New Year. And it's all fancy. It's not just an email, but it's all fancy. As we get, begin to embark on the new year ahead, we must stop to reflect on our journey thus far and the incredible support we've continued to receive from you, our wine family. Last year, you poured more glasses, raised more toasts, introduced new people to our brand, and visited restaurants and stores that serve Michael Lavelle. Not only has your support greatly impacted our growth, but it has also directly contributed to diversifying the wine industry. And thank you for believing in the Michael Lavelle vision and for helping us continue to break barriers as the youngest black-owned wine brand. In 2022, we're excited to continue to deliver on our commitment to introducing new and exciting wine experiences with the launch of our new Red Rider Iris Zimindo coming soon. We hope that in the new year you will achieve all the goals and dreams you set out to, and when you do, we hope that you will continue to bring us along and celebrate with a glass of Michael Lavelle. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cheers to 2022. Signed, Michael Lavelle. And it's uh, uh, it says Black Enterprise, the founders of the Black-owned wine label. Uh, and uh, Travel Nor for Black Men created Michael Lavelle Wines, and they're the youngest black wine brand owners. And it's uh, a Rido coming soon. That's the uh, the Zimadon. But check it out. Uh, I subscribe to a lot of different things. This is one of them here. I'll, I'm going to see if I can't get a hold of him. Or one of the guys there's actually there's four of them that are under the label there four of them work together and i'm gonna see if i can't get a hold of them and maybe that could be one of our interviews this year michael avell but you can check it out yourself uh by going to uh well this is from hello at sip com. so i guess michael Lavelle dot com is that go uh, m i c h a e l l a v e l l e michael lavelle or it has to be lavelle laville it could be laville so uh check it out and uh i haven't had any of their wines but coming year here we'll get in touch with them and we'll get them on the show and we'll See uh, see what they're really all about and what how they're doing and all that. Maybe we can help promote them a little bit. So, already 8.05, and I've talked enough. 
So I'm going to let you go. Hope you all are having a good new year so far. Actually, this is our first show in the new year, isn't it? Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. I just realized that because um, it's only the sixth. So hope you all are having a good new year and hope you are continuing to be safe. And, uh, you know, if you, uh, I, I'm an advocate of vaccination because I have lost two. I've lost a daughter-in-law and a brother-in-law this past year to COVID, and neither one were vaccinated. So I, I, I am an advocate of vaccination on, on that. If you, if you aren't, that's fine with me. I don't care. Just God bless you, and I hope that you stay safe. And. Y'all have yourself a wonderful week ahead here. Hopefully, Mike will be back next week and be well. And we'll see what it was that affected him for two weeks here. And that's not a good thing. And so, have a wonderful week. And sorry, Facebook and YouTube, I didn't hook up to you. You're going to have to listen to us on archives because Mike is usually the one that does that. And I don't know how. So, We'll see you all next week. Have yourself a wonderful week and be safe out there. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.